Are subtle beliefs that you don't even know about holding you back in life? That is just one of the things that we explore on episode 9 of the Be Yourself and Love It podcast with me, Anthony Samaroff. My guest today is Avril Gill of NewlandsPersonalDevelopment.com. She is a coach, an NLP practitioner and a hypnotherapist, as well as the author of The Reinvention Method. Hi Avril, thank you for joining me today. How are you? I'm great, thanks Anthony. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited to have you on the show. What I'm interested in starting with is to learn how did you end up being a coach and NLP practitioner and hypnotherapist? Well, my background was originally um, in HR. I had a career in HR for about 20 years um, and I initially trained in psychology. My first degree, um, sorry, no, not my first degree, my second degree was uh, an honours degree in psychology, which kind of took me into the world of learning and development. Mm. Um, But also it probably started much further back than that um, I I kind of embarked on a journey of self-discovery mainly due to my own personal experiences growing up and really a combination of that and my career in HR it somehow led me to the world of hypnotherapy NLP coaching and one day I decided to take a leap and work for myself as a coach. Okay, excellent. Glad that you did. And what, what, one of the things that you mentioned when we spoke before is that you did quite a lot of coaching as part of your career in HR. Can you say a little bit about that and what you learned from it and how it led you to where you are now? Yeah. My, my career in HR um, and in, especially in learning and development kind of opened up a whole world to me of coaching and development. I was mainly coaching senior managers and some executive members and the focus wasn't necessarily on work stuff. It was always on how they were feeling inside and the limiting beliefs and the things that were keeping them stuck, I guess. So um, as I kind of explored more and more in the world of sort of hypnotherapy and NLP, I kind of started bringing a lot of that in through the side door. And I was running lots of leadership development programs and coaching programs, all under the banner of, you know, corporate programs. But underneath it all, there was a lot of self, self-help stuff right. going on. Um, It was, actually, when I look back now, it was a bit sneaky. I had, uh, I I don't think we spoke about this the last time we chatted, but I've just remembered, I um, I did a lot of training with Jack Black. I don't know if you've come up. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's he's a Scottish guy, isn't he? Yes, he is. So back in the late 80s, very early 90s, I was a huge, and I still am a huge Jack Black fan, um, He's he's done a lot um, for for that field that he's done. It's, it's you know he's really good. Um, but I I went on all of his um, programs that he had, and a lot of the things that I learned from Jack, I brought back into the workplace. Oh, lovely! <laughs> so I was teaching people all these 
fancy techniques to get them more focused and organized and, you know, just really just to have a better mindset, not just at work, but in their lives too. So, yeah, I was a bit naughty. Well, I'm sure that Jack was very would be very pleased to know that what he was teaching was getting spread further because I'm sure he was in that career to help people. And if you can give him a knock-on effect, I certainly know that I, I feel chuffed if anyone learns anything from my show and my media that they feel like passing on. Yeah. If we're trying to have a transformation in this world, which each of us are, then I think that's exactly the kind of impact we'd love to be having. Through your experience in education and HR and getting to practice what you'd learned and doing the coaching, you got some considerable experience at hours and skills. You probably became more confident as a coach and more competent as well. The other major experience that that you've said that influenced your decision was your own journey, your own journey of personal development. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I... I mean, that that really, uh, that was kind of the big thing for me. All, all the time I was doing all this stuff, including, you know, the psychology degree, moving into that world of learning and development, whilst on one level it, it was about helping me, you know, me looking to kind of develop my career and all of that kind of stuff, but at a much deeper level, it, it really was my, my own personal quest I was looking to find a way to help me move beyond some of the limitations that I knew that I was putting on myself and my own way of living in in the world, my own way of being, I guess, but most importantly, my own way of thinking. Um, You know, my childhood was very difficult and, and it left me with a lot of and I'm not blaming anyone for my childhood. I'm an adult now, take completely responsibility for choices and decisions, but it did leave me, um, as an adult, struggling to make sense of my place in the world and how to navigate my life and feel safe and be able to trust people and lots of self-esteem and self-worth issues and probably spent, quite a number of years, you know, in and out of what what I would class as depression, although at the time I probably didn't think it, but when I now I see it was actually that. So I was on a personal quest <laughs> to to just create a better life, you know. And I got probably into my thirties and, you know, I achieved so much, you know so much in my career and all sorts of things, but I was still, I still wasn't happy inside. There was still something. Um, and, and I guess that's when I started digging deeper into the world, into more spirituality, to hypnotherapy, into NLP, all of these things. And what tools did you find in there that helped you improve your life to be honest, I can't say there was anything, one, any one specific thing. I, I think what I found was a blend of different things that I was able to adapt and tweak to suit me, to suit my personality, to suit my circumstances in my life. Um, 
if I was to say most of all, the biggest thing for me was the was was and still is, I guess, is the trans work. But what what I learned was that it doesn't happen overnight, and it took me a long time to develop a practice that worked for me. Right. I hear you. I hear you. So you were reading around and discovering little bits and pieces and you took what worked from you from different places and made um, a composite of them by applying them in your own experience. And over time you saw your state of mind improve, but it wasn't an instant thing. It took time. And that's something that we've talked about before, you know, our, our grievance with the personal development industry, when everything, where everything, oh, this one solution, uh, and in, you know, in one session, in one 90-minute session, I can do this for you, or in 28 days, or whatever it is. And I just want you to speak a bit about the process of change and um, how how it transforms you over time, how how you apply yourself to that. Yeah, um, I, I completely agree. It doesn't happen overnight, and it is a continual process. You know, you could almost say it's it's an evolution of the person, you know, which can only happen over time through new learnings, new understandings and insights into the person that you are and how you relate to the world I guess and like you I think there is far too much out there that says that well we can fix you in one session and that certainly hasn't been the case for me and um, the, the work that I've done on myself to help me move into the place that I'm at and I'm and I'm still not done <laughs> I'm still right. not done. There's always something that, you know, you, you know, I find myself at a point where I think, oh, I feel good. And then something will happen and it will trigger, you know, what, one of what I call my little shadow beliefs that are lurking underneath that I haven't quite taken care of. Um, and it's the same for my clients, Anthony. You know, you know, I, I, I have clients who come to me and, and say things like, oh, I hear that, you know, NLP or hypnotherapy can fix this problem in one session and I just want to be fixed. You know, it's somehow there's this mindset that's developed in the world of, you know, passive passive healing of trauma or passive learning and that just is not the case. You know, it, it's it's a process of engagement. Right. Right, and it's a it's a sad thing. A lot of us are left feeling like we are broken. I mean, I don't see people as broken so much as uh, people have certain needs, and those needs might not have been fully met in their childhood or through whatever experiences, even in adulthood, that have left them feeling wounded, and. It's just like in nature, you know, in order for a plant or your garden to grow to its fullest extent, it, it has certain needs. You don't just water all the plants at the same time. You look at them and you, you see what they need and you, you give the plants what what they need, whether that's fertilizer or a little cane to stop it being uh, blowing over the wind. And I just see the human organism as a more complicated version of a garden where we, we have certain needs that need to be met to 
in order to grow. And like the garden, it doesn't grow overnight. You can't just uh, give your plants three times as many as much fertilizer and water as it says on the packet and expect it to grow three times the speed. But if you do attend to it every day, then as you say, there's an evolution, there's a transformation, and it turns from a seed into a beautiful garden. So I, I really identify with what you're saying. And I certainly look back on my early 20s and my beginning to engage in the self-help process and expecting that I'd have some experience that would suddenly change me uh, and leave me healed, whether it was going to one self-help retreat or whether it was taking psychedelics, which I experimented with, with the hope of, of healing. And even when I did get results, uh, I thought, wow, I magically healed. I'm going to be excellent by now. I'm going to write books and things like that. It might last for about four days, and then if I was lucky, and then I feel even more depressed after the four days than I felt before because I thought I was healed, but I wasn't. And what I really realized was it is like a garden. You, you do need to attend to these needs and you need to attend to them regularly. You need to take out the trash. You need to weed the garden. And for me, that was learning something that's really been lost in the West, the idea of having a practice. So whether that's a meditation practice, which I have, but I used to not have the discipline for, or I journal three pages a day, or I make sure that I read for half an hour a day, and, and, and I write for half an hour a day. And if I'm, because these are practices now, if I drop a day or two, it's no big concern because I'm busy. I'll, I will get back to them. But at the beginning, you can, you, it's very difficult to do that. It's very difficult to cultivate a practice. So you're, you, you need to do one at a time and um, not, not rush to add, to try and change everything all at once. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. You, you know, just do one thing, one thing that mm. you can do and you feel you feel good doing. Mm. So I agree with that whole idea of there, there's this mind, mindset, especially in our society, that of some, you know, people are broken. And mm. I, I believe people are broken. Mm. I, think, I think all of us come with, with, Things to learn about mm. ourselves, you know, those those wounds that we may have carried forward from childhood or from difficult relationships in our adulthood or or what from wherever we've brought them or from wherever we've got them. I I don't think it makes us a broken person. Mm. I think I think they're actually a gift to enable us to transform. And there is a there. The ch I think it's the Chinese when they when they break a, something of value, oh, like yeah. a dish or a bowl, you know, rather than you know attempt to, to put it back to how it originally looked, what they do is they fill that they fill the crack yeah. with gold, so it transforms into something much more beautiful yes. than um, what it originally was, and. There's, there's a part of me that believes that that's what we are here to do mm. in our lives. You know, that whole, that whole process of, you know, evolution within ourselves, our, our psyche as a human being is to, to learn to grow and to transform into something much more beautiful 
than, than we already are. We're already beautiful, but we can transform into something much, much more. And if we don't, that's equally okay too, because there's nothing really ever to be fixed, only to be transformed. Wow, that's really lovely and, and life-affirming message. So you are an expert, I think, on something that you call shadow beliefs. And I would like you to let us into your secrets of shadow beliefs. Tell me about your experience of, um, of suffering, identifying and curing them in yourself and how you work with your clients to do the same or to help them do the same. Yeah, well, I'm not quite sure if I'm an expert yet. I'm still learning. Um, <laughs> but or perhaps you're just very modest. <laughs> or perhaps. But I certainly have um, a lot of experience around working with limiting beliefs. And one of the things that I've found in my own sort of personal experience and with working with clients is that we, we can be completely unaware of some of the beliefs that are really running the show for us at a deep unconscious level. But the way to spot these beliefs is in the excuses that we make in our lives. And the excuses, I, I believe that the excuses we make in our lives are the telltale signs of some of the shadow beliefs that are hiding beneath the surface. And I think one of one of the, an example I, I recently wrote about was one of my clients um, kept making excuses about not having enough money and um, to take her family on a holiday trip. And you know, every time I saw her, you know, it was like you know, she was complaining about funds and money. And you know, a long time ago, Anthony, a part of me would have thought, oh, I wonder if she's trying to say to me she can't afford my services. <laughs> oh, right, right, right. And maybe that um, that ties into one of your shadow beliefs. Absolutely, absolutely. So, it, you know, that's the great thing about doing this work. You know, our, our clients often become a mirror from which we reflect, you know, we, we reflect back some of the things that we need to look at. So I did go and explore that before... Um, digging deeper with my client but anyway so she kept bringing this up and you know I I challenged her on it and when I challenged her on it and got beneath the surface of it what what we really found was a belief that was hidden under there that that she was saying that she believed about herself that she she didn't have the capacity or in her words the intelligence and I'm pretty sure it was intelligence was the word that she used the intelligence to go away and learn some new skills in order for her to get a better job which would pay more now a lot of people would just let that excuse float by and maybe or maybe even think oh she's got a limiting belief about money and and think they need to look at what's what's keeping her stuck around this money you know but when you kind of scratch beneath the surface a little bit more, this, this person, a highly intelligent lady, um, but she had this belief that she wasn't capable of um, going on into higher education and getting getting herself a degree so as that she could earn more money because in her childhood, she was always a below average learner. Oh. You know, and 
and that's what I mean about shadow beliefs. You know, her her. I remember a conversation with her, and um, her report card would say things like um, "needs to work harder," isn't able, mm. concentrate below average on whatever, and all these tiny things. I mean, she had a, a loving, supportive family, but all these tiny things had her belief. And her capacity to learn and develop and grow um, at an early, early mm-hmm. age. And yes. you know, it's, so I think sometimes this is the reason why when we think we're done, we're not. Mm. <laughs> because often when you start kind of peeling back the layers and, you know, getting beneath the surface, you start to see, you know, things that maybe that have been missed before and excuses you know looking at people's excuses looking at your own excuses is a great way to start shining the light on some of these things so when i hear myself give a reason why i'm not doing what i want to do i can take a little pause for thought maybe even grab a notepad and write down you know one left hand column uh, what it, what the things are that I want to do on the right column, my reasons, you know, maybe there's two or three reasons which I'm giving myself for why I'm not doing that thing. And then I can dig a little bit deeper and say, you know, how would you do that? In fact, could you could you help? In terms of digging deeper to find out what underlies an excuse. What, what underlying. So, yeah, basically just what you're saying there, just you know, take a moment, step back from that excuse and just ask yourself, well, what's really going on here? You know, and what, see, the, the, the thing is, beliefs are not facts, mm. you know, and that, that's, I, I think that's the thing that people think a belief is a fact and it isn't, unless you've got evidence for it, a belief is not a fact. And I think that's the, that's the important thing. So figuring out whether or not, you know, that belief is fact, is absolutely key. And the other the other thing you can do is just really reframe it, reframe that excuse into something different. And then when you reframe the excuse into something different, what you might find is you begin to uncover the actual belief that sat there. Does right. that make sense? Well, let, let, let's have a try. So let's reframe some beliefs. I'm too old. Well, I, I would be asked, the first, if, if we were working together, Anthony, the first thing I'd be asking is, what, what exactly are you too old for? Right. So this, uh, to change career, for example. I'm too old to change career. You're too old to change career. So is that an ex- So if that was an excuse... What I would get you to reframe that to is right now I'm resistant to changing my career because I believe I am too old. Right. Right. So now I've got that. Okay. Now I've identified that I'm too old is just a thought floating in my head. And I can say, right, so I'm resistant to changing my career because I think I'm too old. And I can go, is that really true? Um, you know, maybe maybe I decide 
that, or maybe I might even discover that that's not really the reason, and I go, well, when I look deep down, actually, I don't think I'm too old. I'm just kind of saying that because I don't want to take the risk or something like that. Absolutely. Uh, right, right, okay. Okay, so what about an, another one? Uh, I'm not confident enough yet. Again, I would, ref I would want to ask the question, you're not confident enough yet for what? To write this book proposal. So you're not confident enough yet to write this book proposal. So again, I would reframe it in the exact same way. I just keep using this, this way to reframe it. Right now, I'm resistant to writing that book proposal because I believe... I am not confident enough yet. Hmm. Very good. So this is excellent because I feel like people at home can really take what you've given us here and start working. And then again, you might realize once you look at that and go, you know what, that's just some old baloney that I'm telling myself. The truth is I'm afraid that the book proposal will get rejected and that's why, that's why I'm not writing it. Or, or, you know, if I sit down to write it, I might find out that oh, I'm not confident enough in the way that I write that, you know, it won't come out perfect. I won't write the letter well and they'll they'll um, reject the book, not because it is a good, is a bad idea for a book, but just because my I'm scared my writing won't be good enough. And if you find out what the shadow belief is underlying that, then you can you can improve because uh, you can see, well, now I know that the thing that's really holding me back is um, uh, I'm scared my email won't be well enough written. I can ask my spouse to have a look over it. I can phone our friend because he's a law lawyer and maybe maybe he'll he'll be able, to, he's good with words, maybe he'll be able to rewrite my book proposal in a better way or get help, you know. But if you're making excuses and you're, you, you don't really know your own mind you don't really know what's holding you back you don't actually have the ability to get the degree of support that you would you would like to get absolutely and what happens is people get stuck at the first level at the level of the excuse and that's all that they see you get mm. vision you know they get tunnel visioned right. on that excuse so to go back to the one that you were saying about the book for example and um, about not writing the book because you believe that you're not confident enough people get stuck in that place mm. and know how to get out of that and then what happens is a whole other set of other things come along to to um add on to that excuse that's happening you know so it's almost like that old saying adding fuel to the fire so well I'm not feeling very confident in that which then has a knock-on effect in other areas but when you can reframe it by just in its simple words you know right now I am resistant to writing that book because I believe I am not confident mm. then go find the evidence that says you're not confident right and if you, you know, if you just stay in the feeling of, oh, I'm not confident enough yet, I'll be more confident when this happens, I'll be more confident when that happens, you might just find that that belief follows you everywhere and the best you get of it is a, a temporary relief. Um, when, But if you dig a little bit deeper, you might be able to, we talked about this last time as well, you know, sometimes your shadow beliefs resurface and I likened that to pulling up a weed uh, 
or cutting a weed rather than pulling it out from the root. Uh, your your work in shadow beliefs is really trying to dig deep to the root of people's insecurities and the ways that they hold themselves back so you, so you can pull it out from the bottom mm-hmm. absolutely and and you know often these beliefs that are down there will you know you can clear them up in one area but to use your gar- i love your garden metaphors and oh, thank you because i love my garden and <laughs> right and i think like you say, nature is just a, an amazing metaphor for life anyway, or our lives as human beings. Um, but, you know, like you say, you know, you can clear out that weed in that one patch in the garden. So say I go down to my vegetable plot and find that, you know, there's a weed that's taken over my lovely beetroot that I've got growing just now, and I clear all that out, and then I can look at that plot, that vegetable patch and think oh I feel really confident that the beetroots are going to grow nicely and then then I'm going to go over to where I'm growing um some I don't know um sunflowers or something and and I notice that I'm not as confident with the sunflowers but I'm in a different patch in the garden the context is different it's facing a different way Mm. I need to go back in there again and think okay so what's going on down in this part of my garden so so and it's important that people realize and i'm really passionate about this as well Mm. it's important that people realize that that's okay yes absolutely okay you know (laughs) you know because our our lives are made up of many many different parts you know and whilst working on one will have a positive impact on all the others that goes without saying sometimes we need to dig deep into all Mm. others to give it the attention and the nurture and the nutrients that it needs right right well you've got me excited i feel like uh, life is a challenge to be embraced and i I feel like getting out in my metaphorical garden and doing some digging Excellent. So you spoke to me before about three books that were very influential and and I'd like you to start by telling us about The Road Less Travelled and the impact that that have on your life. Well, that was probably one of the most important books that I read in the early days of my own um, inner journey, I guess. And what that book taught me was that in order to create the life, the mindset that you want, then along the way, you have to make sacrifices. Right. You have to put in the groundwork, you know, and, and this is what we've been speaking about, speaking about anyway today. And, and sometimes that in today's society, everything has to happen now, has to happen fast, has to happen overnight. And we get caught up in this whole idea of um, the materialistic side of things and it's not until we realise that all that material stuff out there isn't making us happy that we finally stop and slow down and realise that we maybe need to take another path in life and find another way of doing things and to me what I learned out of that book is that it's an inside job. Happiness Feeling joy, fulfilment has got nothing, absolutely nothing 
to do with what's on the outside, what you've got or have. It's You're the only one that can create that. It's a completely inside job and it takes time. Yes, and people these days are not very comfortable with the word sacrifice. It sounds like giving something. Or, uh, but I think it's because, you know, we've got to the material stage in Western societies where we're so um, well privileged, especially in the historical scale of things. I mean, uh, pe- there's people considered in poverty in the country that we live in that have luxuries that the fe- the richest feudal lord 250 years ago couldn't dream of like a, a flush toilet or a washing machine so the idea of sacrifice has taken a negative connotation but the fact is you can't be doing two things at once you know you can't both be in the gym and relaxing on the couch, having some potato chips at the same time. And it's only through the sacrifice of one thing, of one thing that you consider of value, for example, staying in your comfort zone, the sacrifice of that thing that you consider of value for a greater value, improving your confidence or your social skills because you took the risk to go out and talk to 10 strangers, you know, Whatever whatever you achieve is achieved through trading one thing of value for something that you value more. And I think that's really, really important to understand that um, you're always sacrificing whether you know it or not. If you're, if you're on the, the couch eating potato chips, you're sacrificing being in the gym. And if you're in the gym, you're sacrificing being on the couch eating potato chips. The other thing I was going to say about the road less travelled book I mean I'd highly recommend it, it's not the easiest book in the world to read but he talks a lot about this idea of delayed gratification mm. and the reason that, which might be a slightly better word than sacrifice mm. um, it might be a, a bit more accessible for people but the, the other thing that you know, the, this whole idea of delayed gratification and why we don't do it in our culture or where we avoid doing it is because delayed gratification is a painful process right it it means we've got to confront things and solve problems before we get what we want but we want it now (laughs) not prepared to you know and you well i as a parent i see it a lot with Mm. parents their children Mm. and this is where we learn this you see um this inability to delay gratification or make sacrifices you know, and as parents, and I've been there, I've done this with um, my, my own children, you know, parents giving in to children just for an easy life or just to get right. peace. So a child learns that, well, if I stamp my feet hard enough, I'll get what I want immediately, you know, and then right. we, we carry that into adulthood. Right. And he talks a lot about that in that book and, you know, the actual benefits of having delayed gratification and and putting off having things immediately and working towards them, you know. And I would kind of go um, go back to the client I was speaking about earlier. She, you know, kept making this excuse about money. And then when we dug deeper, what started to come up was, oh, it's going to take me a long time to get a degree on the OU. You right. know, she wanted the money now, but right. but 
initially, although that's not the case now because she she has now gone on and she's doing other mm. But once once we started to unravel that, and, and I think that's a really nice example of the message in the book, The Road, Dress, the, the Road to Less Travel, that, you know, sometimes we've got to delay that gratification. Right. And do you know what? When she gets on that holiday, it will be of so much more value than yeah. that she sacrificed to attain it. I mean, if you've always been rich and you've always been on those holidays, you know, you, you might just zone out on the beach and miss the beauty of it. It's the fact that you've put yourself into the process of getting you there really does increase the the beauty of the moment that you come to. Absolutely. Another book that you said was very influential on your thinking was Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill, a book that I also remember listening to the audiobook of while practicing the piano. Um and it's interesting how Napoleon Hill uses the word rich not just to mean material riches, but the the richness of life that one can attain. So tell us a little bit about that and how you, how it led you on to positive thinking. Well, that book really kind of opened the door for me into the unconscious mind and how language, the language, I guess, that we use, how we think and talk to ourselves, because we all talk to ourselves, um, literally does begin to program what's happening at a deeper level within us. So that, that, that was a brilliant book for me, and it, it, probably, it probably started my curiosity, certainly fired up a lot for the workings of the brain and the unconscious mind and how... You know, even the, the, the smallest thing reinforced over a period of time can actually cause us to go out and create that in our lives without us being aware of it. Right. The power of the unconscious mind is another one very similar to um, Napoleon Hill. In fact, I think they were both around uh, about the same time. Other books that I've read have been um, Wayne Dyer. I, right. I, Absolutely adore his early work. You know, Wayne Dyer has a beautiful book called "This the A Spiritual Solution to Every Every Problem," and it, and it's based on a prayer by Saint Francis of Assisi. Right. Each each chapter is a line is the header. Each each chapter it, it comes from a line in each of each of the the words in the prayer. So I I don't know if you've ever read any Wayne Dyer work. Certainly would recommend his early work if you're looking for kind of inner sort of spiritual development in that sense. I know a lot of people can get offended by the word God and he does use the word God a lot in his work. But if you move beyond that, the the kind of what we traditionally would call God and just, put your own word on it it's absolutely fabulous book and there's lots of helpful stuff in there and anecdotes that I find tremendously useful and I still dip into that book now and again excellent yeah my my experience of Wayne Dyer is again mostly audiobooks that I used to enjoy listening to um while I was practicing because I just found his voice and his approach very very uplifting 
so yeah he's he he did some great work sadly no longer with us so you wrote a book the reinvention method and it came out this year uh i couldn't possibly have you go off without telling us a little bit about your process of coming to writing the reinvention method yeah so that was an exciting thing for me to do was to write a book um but i guess the book was really an accumulation of all the little bits that i have learned along the way that that i guess i've shaped into my own practice that I use for myself, but I, that I've also tested out um, whilst working with clients. So it, it, it's really the things that I found key in helping people transform them, their lives. But the way the book's been written, I guess it's it's simple and straightforward. And the steps in the book, because there, there's eight steps, the steps in the book are simple enough that you can use them all the time, you know, and, that, and, and that's always my big thing. It's that it's, you know, the job is never done and that's okay. You know, it's okay to keep going back to the beginning and starting over and starting over. You know, the most successful people in this, in this world are people who reinvent themselves. Um, so the, the, the book is kind of designed that you can just follow the steps you know, every day, every month, every year, go back to the beginning, whatever you choose. Um, so, yeah, so it's been exciting writing that book. Do you want yeah, we're go going to hopefully dive in and get a spe sneak peek of some of those steps in a moment. But you had quite a personal, touching story about writing this book that I think people would really love it if you shared. Well, the book itself... The book I ended up writing probably wasn't the book that was going to get out there, but sadly what happened when I was in the middle of writing the book, my father died, and I almost gave up, I guess. I, I don't know if I gave up, but I almost was like, this just isn't happening. Um, and there there was a voice inside of me saying, you just need to get this out, Avril. Yeah. Yeah, I guess against the odds, I pulled this little book together because really what I originally wanted to write this book to make both my parents proud of me, mm. you know, and uh, sadly, my mum passed away two years before my dad. Mm. And, you know, I, you know, my mum, I was a bee's knees as far as mum was concerned. So she would have just loved the fact that I had mm. written little book and it, and it was quite sad that well it's very sad that she didn't get to mm. experience that and then my dad dying when I was kind of writing the book it was I, I you know I, I thought what's the point <laughs> I was doing this to make them so proud and mm. he, however the book I, 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 I believe I was guided in some way some way to get it out there and I did and I'm really pleased with um, what I managed to pull together given the circumstances but I also think it was a learning process for, for me too and, and a healing process and it enabled me to transform another layer of me in the 
process, which was lovely. You know, it really was a lovely experience. Yeah, I hear you. Well, I'm sorry for your loss, and I'm glad that you were able to ride the waves of that to produce something positive that will hopefully continue to have a positive impact on others. So the subheading of your book is Eight Steps to Transform Your Life, even if you've found it impossible in the past. Now, I would love for you to whet our appetite and let us in on some of these eight steps. So, the eight steps are really simple, Anthony. And do you know what? There is, what's really important about this book, there is nothing really that new. It's all out there anyway. You can get all this stuff out there. All I've done is just, I've just put my own spin, my own take on it, and I've brought a bit of me into these steps and how I use them with clients. So there's some nice steps like making a commitment to yourself and making that commitment to change, which is absolutely crucial. And I see it time and time again. I've seen it myself. I've, I've experienced it with clients I work with when we don't make that commitment to ourselves, when we, we don't show up for us, then nothing changes. We, keep, we just keep going back to the drawing board. So that's that's the first step in the book. Um, making that commitment, that, that vow to yourself that you are going to do whatever it, you know, whatever it is that you want to do or you feel you need to do. Um, so we've got other steps in the book I speak about are dropping your expectations of things and that kind of ties in with that whole delayed gratification thing so and it's re- I have a really interesting take on expectations given that I spent most of my life with extremely high expectations in every area of my life um, I was a, a ridiculous perfectionist and expected everybody else to be the same um, so I had I've learned some hard lessons around this. So there's one of the steps is all around that. Another step is about forgiveness um, and acceptance. And we we also talk about gratitude. And I think you and I chatted last time about gratitude. Mm. Yes, you had a very interesting take on this transformation of your gratitude practice. Yeah, and I, I guess that's, you know, Anton, that's what I've tried to do in this book is just put my little spin on things. And um, I know that you, you found that one interesting. And with me, I, I really had an issue with doing gratitude journals and gratitude lists and all of these sorts of things. And given that I was reading a lot around um, law of attraction and manifesting abundance and the importance of having all these gratitude journals I actually felt like quite a fake because I really struggled right. with them I didn't feel aligned to do it in fact some days I struggled to feel feel grateful about anything and I, and I used to think to myself you know gosh I must be a really bad person really heartless if I can't feel grateful but I think the whole with the with that whole notion of gratitude I think there comes this feeling of obligation 
you know, you, you feel like you've got to be. I, I've got to, I, I feel obliged to be grateful for the right. things in my life. And to me, that isn't that isn't how you know, that isn't what gratitude should be a should be about. It's not authentic. Absolutely. And my aha moment came when you know, I, I and I, I write about this specific thing in the book. I was sat with a coffee cup and it must have been a cold day. It's either a cup of coffee, a cup of tea and a I sat and I had my hands wrapped around the mug and and I thought, you know, I'm really enjoying this. And I could, you know, feel the warmth of the mug and I felt quite comforted by it. Just sat there in peace and and I and I looked at the cup and thought to myself, you know, I'm really appreciating this. And then that was my aha, aha moment. And I in that moment I realized that I had got the whole gratitude thing wrong. Mm. I really needed to be doing was focusing on how that thing made me feel so I could appreciate it. So I went out and tested it because I like to test things. And, you know, and I, d I did silly things like I'd walk around the garden and look at the flowers and smell them and, you know, um, and really notice the difference between connecting in with appreciating having that thing in my life and just feeling grateful because I have to and you know anytime I in the past would sit down and write oh I'm really grateful that I've got this car or I'm really grateful I've got this nice sofa I might look at the car and sofa and think yeah I'm really grateful but I want another one when I went into a of appreciation I didn't have that feeling I didn't have that feeling of oh I've got to be grateful and actually now that I look at, look at it I might want another one or it might not be good enough you know I went into this place where this feels really good right now in this moment and to me that's that I, I actually think gratitude comes as it arises from appreciation so in order to really get get that sense of gratitude you've got to move into that feeling right. of appreciation for it first because then when you do that the gratitude comes it flows there's no I've got to write this in my journal it's like yeah I really am grateful for that cup of coffee or that cup of tea or that plant in the garden or whatever it may be so you've created a ladder rather than try and be where you're at and impose gratitude upon yourself you've discovered a way for us to just bring our attention to the present moment and take a look around and see if there's things or anything that we can experience around us maybe just even being here and that we are actually genuinely appreciative for and give that attention you know to come back to the garden water the flower of appreciation let that feeling spread into your into your beingness and I feel like that's a much more authentic way of accessing the good feelings associated with with gratitude rather than turning it into a sterile theory or or a practice that you then have to impose upon yourself yeah absolutely absolutely and that made a huge difference for me there, there is a chapter on beliefs 
of course, because that's really important. <laughs> Beliefs right. and values and, you know, getting clear on what these things are for you. So there's lots of nice, you know, simple ways of looking at things. And that and that's what I'm about. You know, I like I like keeping things simple. Yeah, I lo- love that old one, you know, K-I-S-S, keep it simple, stupid. If it's too complicated to explain simply, then it's probably not the right solution, or it's at least not the right expression of the solution. It's nice to have something that's easy to lay out and understand and that can be followed and accessed, applied to our own experience so that we can learn it for ourselves. Absolutely, and I think there's a lot of intellectual stuff out there that's easily accessible to anybody but I think what I what I want to create for people is access is access to resources that are that that are easy to use in daily life you know I want to be able to reach people and I I do have this belief and you know, maybe I need to have a look at this belief, but I do feel passionate about keeping things accessible for everybody, you know, and the more accessible development is or understanding of the human being is in in their nature, then more and more people can access that and then collectively as a whole we are all growing and mm. expanding um, and making the place a better world to live in and ultimately that I think that's you know one of the reasons most people do become coaches is because ultimately we mm. want to help make the world a happier and more enjoyable place to live in more harmonious well, that is a beautiful vision that I hope people take into their hearts and that they can access the reinvention method itself on Amazon, either in paperback or in Kindle edition. Thank you so much, Avril, for joining me on the Be Yourself and Love It podcast. It's been such a pleasure to have you. Before you pop off, let people know where they can find you and hear more about your work. So you can find me, well, you can find me on Facebook. I have a couple of pages on Facebook, but if you just search Avril Gill, you will find me there. Um, my website is avrilgill.com, nice and easy. And yeah, you can hook up with me via my website anytime. Just Google me, you will find me. <laughs> Great, thank you once more. Okay, that's great. Thanks very much, Anthony. I've really enjoyed our chat. Me too. It's been wonderful. Thank you. Okay, thank you to Avril Gill for joining me. If you enjoyed the show, please don't be shy. Share it with other personal development enthusiasts. And if you'd like to support the show, the best way to do it is to support yourself by getting my personal development program, Surviving to Thriving. It takes you through six transformational lessons that cover how we grow, reclaiming your authenticity, emotional well-being, taking responsibility and making life awesome. You can find that at beyourselfandloveit.com under the course tab. Until next week, be yourself. Well, don't just be yourself, be yourself and love it.